Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. We've had just over a week of MBA action and what I want to do today is break down some of the first year players that we've seen through this first week of the NBA and I could not think of a better person to have on the no ceilings draft savant Tyler Rucker. Tyler how are you doing today man? It's a pleasure to have you on the Drop Step podcast. I'm doing great, Jack. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on and I'm excited for for this show and um you know, it feels good that basketball's back and this is a part of our everyday ritual right now. So, um thank you again. I I'm really excited for this one. I think yesterday was a little bit overwhelming. We had 26 teams play. Uh as a UK-based fan, I sort of wake up and I I check the app almost the first thing I do. I I wake up, I brush my teeth and I'm straight on the NBA app, sort of going through box scores and looking at highlights. It was well into my train journey before I caught up with sort of everything that had gone on today. But uh, yeah, I'm so glad to have it back. It's so much better than I was talking to Ben Pfeiffer last week about how much I was enjoying the preseason. I take that back. I did not enjoy the preseason in comparison <laughs> to the NBA regular season. But uh, yeah, for you guys that don't know, No Ceilings do some of the best draft content that you can consume, whether that's free or paid. I believe that they're coming out with a paid subscription this year, which I'm certainly going to consider once I can get the coppers together, basically, to uh, track the draft because they are right up there with anyone else that you might listen to for draft coverage. And Tyler is certainly one of the best at No Ceilings. So Tyler, without further ado... I think the best thing to do here is talk through your big board. And I almost want to stare, uh, stare, steer away from Victor Wembanyama because if we speak about Vic, we'll speak about him for half an hour. Mm -hmm. That will kind of take up half of our time. That'll be it. There is going to be plenty of Victor Wembanyama chat to go round this year. So I actually want to start with the number two pick in the NBA draft. And this is a guy that really surprised me. I think you could probably be forgiven for forgetting that he was the number two pick because he has not had a lot of media shine. But Brandon Miller has not quite lit up the league in his first five NBA games, but I've been so impressed at the level that he's coming at. What were your thoughts pre-draft, Tyler? And what have you thought since he's come in to the association? Yeah, I, I thought he was... A really exciting talent. I understood why Charlotte went in the direction to take him second overall. Um, you know, I personally on my big board, I had him third. Um, I had Scoot Henderson number two, and it wasn't any dislike to Brandon Miller. It was just that's how high I had Scoot Henderson in regards. And um, Brandon Miller has been near the top of my board all last cycle. I, I absolutely loved what I saw from him in Alabama. And I also thought when you saw him before, college basketball at the high school level there was a lot of versatility in his game that wasn't completely shown at Alabama a lot of playmaking um, a lot of mid-range stuff and I think the the early signs from him you know he didn't have a great summer when it comes to summer league and just kind of a little bit inconsistent and now I think he's starting to get some confidence starting to really blossom when it comes to playing off the bench in limited minutes uh, for Charlotte, but he's averaging around 15, 16 points a game. He's looked yeah. really confident. Um, he's given them a big boost. And I think it's only a matter of time if he keeps this up in which Charlotte might have to be like, hey, hey, let's see what we can do with getting him in the starting lineup and see how he responds. But so far, it's it's been a great start for him. I think he's been 
probably one of the most impressive rookies overall when it comes to just efficient kind of playing his game and a really, really talented player. And a lot of us were shaking our heads when Charlotte took him second overall, just because of Scoot Henderson's upside. But now it looks like a fantastic selection. Yeah, I think looking at Brandon through the first four games of the NBA season. So he's averaging 29.5 minutes per game. He's got 42% from three. 15 and a half points per game, six rebounds, two assists. And that best performance so far against Brooklyn, he put up 22 points, nine boards, and even got to the line six times, which is something I thought he might struggle with early on in his NBA career. I think what we saw at Alabama was this guy was happy to bomb away from three. I think you referred to it in high school. This was more of a mid-range operator, right? And at the college level, move behind the line and try to get himself all the way to the rim as well. We've seen a little bit of that in-between game. And I've been impressed at how physically he stood up. He's had a couple of really nice poster dunks so far that I didn't quite know was in his locker. I know that some of the comparisons that came through with Brandon pre-draft were a little bit Chris Middleton as opposed to Paul George. I think every 6'8", 6'9", shot-creating wing tells you one of they they want to be Paul George. He had the Chris Middleton comparison, but I think he's somewhere in between. What do you expect to see for the rest of the season from Brandon? I think you just want to keep seeing what he's doing and you're already seeing the development of the outside shots always going to be there. He's just a very very good shooter from outside and he can pull up from from well beyond the three-point line and I think the biggest development I've seen early on is that he's not just only leaning on that. He's allowing the game to come to him. He's creating, he's, he's attacking the basket. He's getting to the free throw line. Like you said, Jack, I and mean, that's a huge development as a rookie, just early on, just being able to get to the line that many times in a game off the bench. Um, so I think if you start to see the versatility come around as a scorer, it's huge for his development because with each year going on, his frame's going to build out. He's going to add muscle to be able to take on more contact. Um, and the biggest part of his game that I think is really going to blossom one day is, is his playmaking. He's an unbelievable playmaker. And I think everyone just kind of considered him this shooting wing that really can light it up in a hurry. But it's like, yeah, he can do that. But he also, when you give him the ball in his hands, he can make things happen for a team. Yeah, I think next to LaMelo Ball, it's always going to be hard to create passing highlights when you're sort of there in comparison. But He's been really quick to move the ball on, sort of keep the ball moving along the perimeter, which I've been impressed with. Just sort of adapted to the pace of the NBA game really well. And I think in time, as he starts to get more pick and roll reps with a Brandon Miller, as he's stationed on the weak side or like the second side guy as Lamelo attacks the basket, we're going to see that playmaking blossom a little bit more. And I think finally, defensively, he's held up a fair bit better than I expected. I think through Summer League, uh, if I remember correctly, he was recovering from an illness. He lost a little bit of weight during the pre-draft process. During Summer League, you could see some of that where he was getting bullied on occasion. Maybe he didn't quite know where to be. But at the NBA level, I don't think you're going to play for Steve Clifford if you're a complete sieve on the defensive end. He's had really high hands. He's applying himself when it comes to sort of attacking the glass. I think it's just been a really positive showing from Brandon from this point in. I think you bring up one of the most important 
parts of his pre-draft process was I think he was dealing with mono, which is, you know, I've had it before when I was younger. It's mm-hmm. the absolute worst. You, you lose so much weight. You, you can barely eat and you lose all this muscle. So yeah, it, it didn't shock me that he struggled at summer league because all of a sudden he's having to play NBA basketball after, you know, just being feeling so weak. So I think he got some time to recover. Um, he's going to be a heck of a player. I, I never, felt like you know there's a lot of history with the nba draft of usually two out of the three guys in the top three work out and i felt like this is a class that could make that different i also feel that way about last year's class but i i think brandon miller was gonna be a a great player for the hornets like i I didn't doubt that pick i just now want to see what's the direction of the team moving forward um, do you stay with LaMelo Ball? Do you try to keep that pairing working? Because I do think there's going to be a point in which Brandon Miller is going to keep looking like a potential star. And he's the best when he has the ball in his hands because he can do a lot of stuff. So how is that going to work with the two of them? Because LaMelo is a talent that also needs the ball a lot. So it's just figuring it out. But I do think Charlotte's looked early on like they they really hit a home run with Brandon Miller. Yeah, I I like that pairing personally because I think they're both guys that while they show their best when they have the ball in their hands, they're more than capable off-ball players. Both really, really good shooters from outside. I think Brandon's a willing cutter as well. Haven't seen as much of that from Lamelo over the past few years. But you have that utility to have both stationed on the outside while the other one goes to work, adding spacing. They can take rest. They can take turns. I think it could work. And if you can start to combine that playmaking where LaMelo and Brandon are playing off each other, I think that's when you're going to have the highest ceiling outcomes, especially small market franchise like Charlotte. You've got you've got to get creative with your sets. I think you've got to put those two in action as much as you can together, along with Mark Williams as well. I think that's a really nice young trio there, which thank God, because the Charlotte Hornets do not have a lot else going for them at the moment. But I think from one young wing to another, a guy that has absolutely lit it up through his first uh, through his first five games of the NBA season, doesn't necessarily have quite a sweet and outside stroke, but Alsar Thompson has just completely defied expectations. I think he's putting up basically his summer league numbers and he's come in and immediately been impactful in so many ways for the Pistons. Tyler, what were your thoughts on Alsar pre-draft and were you expecting this or are you a little bit shocked? I, I don't always like to be like, oh yeah, I was right. Cause we have a long way to go with a lot of these rookies, but um, I had a star sixth on my board. Um, I had his brother right behind him at seven. Um, I got this, the chance to scout both of them in person and Asar just kind of blew me away right away. I, I was just very, very impressed with his demeanor on the court, um, his ability to make an impact when he didn't have the ball in his hands on both sides of the ball. And I thought when I saw him, I thought he had the chance to be a, a all defensive talent in, in the NBA. I, I really thought that highly of him. And that's part of the reason why I had him higher than um, his brother, Amen, who's with the Houston Rockets. It, it's not surprising to me right now with how Asar has been on the defensive side of the ball, because I think that's where he's the most confident. I think that's where he, the, the talent, the special tools he has really start to blossom when he's on that side of the floor. But I also think offensively, 
the shot is always going to be something that everyone focuses on and is very concerned about, but he does so many different things on the offensive side of the ball that impact winning. I think even if his shot takes a couple years to get to a respectable level, I still think he's a player you have to have on the court because he keeps possessions alive. He cuts really well off of the ball. He's making hustle plays. You know, I, I just did a film breakdown on his first couple of games of the year, and there's possessions where there's no one on Detroit even rebounding, and all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, grabs an offensive rebound, and throws it back out, and they hit a wide-open three. He just does a lot of stuff that's hustle, desire, a lot of really high intangible stuff. So I think Asar's been magnificent early on. Um, I think the shot's going to get better with time. There's a lot of these guys that are trying to overhaul their shooting mechanics. They need reps. They need practice. They need confidence. So I think it's going to be fine. But for what he's done right now as a rookie that's really raw, it's remarkable. It, it, it really is. You know, I said Brandon Miller's been one of the most impressive rookies. I think Asar is right up there. He's been fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, this is a six foot seven wing that is almost averaging a double double, which I think stands out 10 points per game, 9.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists, which something you touched on there, Tyler. Uh, I think he's really good at spotting those cutters and also playmaking in transition. Growing up next to our men, clearly more of the sort of primary pick and roll operator. I think a lot of what we saw on tape from Alsar was being a complimentary player at Overtime Elite. Obviously, he was one of the most talented players on the team, definitely you know, second, arguably first. But what we've seen in these early games for Detroit is just a really high feel for the game, I think. Sometimes when you see these guys that have this insane athleticism and this burst and they can get all the way to the rim like Alsar potentially can... They want to go 100 miles per hour all, all the time. But what's jumped out to me about Alsar is that he's got his head up when he's dribbling. He's looking to dime up his teammates. And like we said, in transition, there have been a couple of times where he's penetrated into the paint. He's turned, he's looked round, and he's spotted an open shooter on the perimeter, which I think is really, really promising. And uh, you mentioned his rebounding. Just absolutely phenomenal numbers. He, he reminds me sometimes of... There's that one Russell Westbrook play against the Clippers from the playoffs on OKC where I think he collects three or four offensive rebounds in one set. He just swoops in ahead of absolutely anyone. And they're a really fun team because of that. And uh, yeah, it, interesting to hear that you had Alsar above our men. I think that that was a slightly, slightly unpopular take during the pre-draft process, right? Oh, for sure. I had a lot of uh, diehard Amen Thompson fans out there. And it, it was the biggest thing I came away watching Asar in person and, and watching his games throughout the entire year was they're always going to be compared to each other because they're they're brothers. But mm. Amen's passing is very flashy. It's very impressive. It's, you know, the highlight machines that you're going to watch on YouTube and all that stuff. But I came away just as impressed with the SARS. I, I think he makes a lot of the simple reads, the right decisions, stuff that gets NBA scouts really excited because there's a clear recognition of where the ball should go. There's a clear understanding of, okay, there's a extra pass to the corner and the guy's going to be wide open because of the defense is set this way. Like it's advanced stuff that really just because it's not a behind the back or a no look, it's simple. It's, 
that's getting high quality shots. And I think you've seen that early on. And um, yeah, I, I, I was a little, the whole no ceilings team. They thought I was a little crazy in the beginning of the year. I said, I, I, I like a SAR more than a men, but um, you know, it, it looks good now, but they're both in different roles. Uh, a SAR is getting a lot more playing time. A men's having to earn his minutes. So that's why I always say, you know, we got to give these guys a couple of years and then reevaluate. But so far, very exciting rookie class. And Asar has been fantastic. I disagree. I think that we can make proper conclusions after five games. Definitely. <laughs> I love it. There we go. Locked in. <laughs> there you go. You've heard it here first. But uh, you've had the chance to scout them in person. Did you get a chance to talk to them or could you sort of feel their passion for the game because even in sort of the brief social media clips that you've seen of both of them, they're clearly hoop heads. They know their draft classes. They know NBA history. Uh, I think that 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 would really excite me as a guy that scouts the draft, just seeing someone that is so committed to the game and seeing someone that's so passionate about the game, even from a knowledge perspective. Do you think that that's going to translate on the court? And I, I think it's definitely a part of how he's been able to come in and apply himself so well in the defensive end. Personally, I, I didn't get the chance to speak with them, but I know um, someone on our team, Stephen Gillespie did and had fantastic reviews. Um, but it's also, you know, with what we do at No Ceilings, we get to a point where we're, we're asking around the NBA and to scouts and what's the Intel? Cause Intel is so important. It, obviously it's one thing to watch tape and make your own evaluations, but um, Intel is gold in the NBA industry, especially when you're evaluating prospects. And every single time you asked about a men or a SAR, you just got fantastic reviews, you know, hard workers, great kids, smart, intelligent. Um, and I think you're seeing that already with both of them. I, I know a men's not putting up, I know opening numbers, but I think you're seeing the work ethic with these guys and, and already some NBA teammates have, you know, praise their, their effort, their attention to detail. And I think Asar is going to continue to be a really great basketball player on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he's going to keep working relentlessly for the offense to come around. And I feel the same exact way about his brother. I think the league's in good hands with them. It's just going to be fascinating to see their developmental path in different situations because I do think there's a time where they're both going to be starting and both putting up good numbers for, for their teams. Can I put you in a horrible position? Of course. Of course. Good. This is what we're here to do. Best brothers since the Gasols, or are you going to have Ooh. to go even further back? I'm trying to run through my head right now. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess since the Gasols. I'm trying to think of some other twins, Marquis uh, or Marcus Morris and Markeith Morris. I think they're going to have the the one up on them. Um, you got the Wagner's in Orlando. Wagner's, as well. oh, that's a good the one. European yeah. flavor. The problem is, is Franz is very, very special. So that one might have the edge by a, a lot. And Mo's done a good job of hanging around the league. Yeah, I'd probably go the Wagner's right now. Um, Franz has looked fantastic this year. So I would probably lean there, but a man and a SAR can do some special stuff and hopefully limit that gap over the next couple of years. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about a man is he clearly has one of the hottest fastballs in the league already. Yes. Some of those deliveries that we saw in overtime elite, it's um, you shouldn't use names like this when you're talking about young players, 
but it's sort of that Magic Johnson fastball where he used to stand at the top of the key and somehow it zips through all five yes. players sort of stood in the paint and it's, ah, oh, my guy's got an open layup. I think that the the flashes are truly there. And he's actually been quite a willing three-point shooter so far. I know that he's working with Ben Sullivan out in Houston. Hopefully that side of his game develops. And I think that he... Uh, the fact that he's going to demand more on-ball reps, he's a slightly slower play in terms of sort of immediate positive impact on the court. But he's a guy that I can't wait to watch over the next few years because that fluidity of movement, I, it's it's sort of 99th percentile. Absolutely. I, I, the way they both move at times when they when they're confident on where to go. I think the biggest thing with those young guys is they have to figure out. Now you got to figure out the speed. And you have to figure out when you can find those openings and then explode because you can't always just be going 100 miles an hour. And I think that's something a men's going to have to figure out. But he just has some some plays, some instances where you're just shaking your head like, Woof, if he continues to get better and put the things together. And when things slow down for, for all these guys um, as young players, that's when you start to see the special stuff rise to the surface. And I think a men and a SAR. Like when they put things together and you know the shot comes around for both of them, oof, can be really two fun talents to watch in this league. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna throw it straight back to you, Tyler. We've spoken okay. about Brandon, we've spoken about Alsar. Who else has caught your eye through this first week of the season? Who do you want to get your teeth into? Oh, man, you know, I have to I think a lot of people are a little frustrated with Scoot Henderson. Um, and I, and I actually am trending in the different direction. I've actually been impressed because point guards, the most difficult position to transition to in the NBA, because now everything's turned up five times more when it comes to speed and you have to run a NBA team and, um, it, it's just tough to adjust. And I've written a piece about like how some of the all time great point guards, it, took him a couple of years to, to really figure it out. And Scoot has kind of had a, a slow start to the year, but the last couple of games, he's looked much better. I think he's learning. He's adjusting quickly. And it's just one of those players that has caught my attention for the, the right reasons when it comes to the developments already starting to happen. You're already starting to see him learn from some turnovers. Then the next game he's adjusted and, and making the right read. So Scoot's going to be one I think people just got to be patient because of the position he's playing, and it's so tough. And guys like Steph Curry didn't really hit their stride until third or fourth season. You know, um, Gary Payton, Steve Nash, guys like that took a couple years to really like, oh, now they're starting to be an all-star. So I think it's tough with the guys that go to the top of the draft, we always have lofty expectations, but I think Scoot's going to be fine. So that's just a guy that's caught my attention of like, let's just pump the brakes guys. Let's not overreact. Let's, let's calm down. Yeah. I think Darius Garland was regarded as the worst player in the NBA after his first full season. So if it's only taking Scoot three games to sort of start, start adjusting, that's, a sign of some real good, basically, basketball IQ. One of the things that stands out to me about Scoot is he shot horribly from three so far, and I think it's really skewed his numbers. So he's put up 4.23s a game, and he's only knocked down 0.4. I think we saw uh, during the preseason process, 
that shot looked a lot sweeter, particularly off the catch as well. I, I quite like his motion. I think it looks steady. I mean, if you compare it to the Thompson twins, for example, I think you can be perfectly happy with his catch and shoot motion. So that's going to come round. But he's actually shot over 50% from two uh, two point range. He shot 85% from the line, albeit on limited volume. He had a really rough start in terms of just the pace of the game really hitting him, struggling to create separation advantages. And when you can't do that as a primary ball handler, you're going to be in for a tough night. But he's basically got a year to three years based off what this Portland team looks like right now to really explore the studio space and to really build some chemistry with the young guys on that roster. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be fine. And then everyone, like I've watched every clip of Scoop. I understand the struggles, the turnovers have the turnovers early in the year were pretty ugly. I was like, Oh boy. It, it, but it's a lot of stuff where you're a young guard and you're like, that play was open all the time last year. And it's like, yeah, now those windows close. And um, the most recent game against Detroit, I, I know he rolled his ankle, but you had already seen some adjustments from early in the year on some passes where it's like, Oh, Whoa, you're already figuring that out. Like it's, it's just impressive. And I think, a lot of those guys, you just need growing pains. And that's why it's so valuable to be on some of those teams where it's like, you're going to play. They're not going to make the playoffs. You're going to play and get valuable time. And um, speaking of Intel, like Scoot was some of the best Intel I've gotten with last year's class. It was just, it was at a point where I would try to find someone to talk negative about him. And it, and it just, you couldn't find it. It's just like relentless worker, fantastic kid. And, I think that's already going to be shown. Like, I'm not worried about the shot because um, two years ago when he's in the G League, he had the same kind of stretch where he couldn't make a three-point shot. And then you look up and you're like, he's shooting 10% from three? What? And then he'd have a, a solid couple games and that number would go back up. But um, it's, it's just like you said, Jack. Like, I think the shot's solid. I'm buying it. And he's a relentless worker. So I know he's probably working on it while we're all talking about it. So I, I'm not worried about Scoot at all. If year three, we're still at the same process right now, then I'll be worried, but I think he's going to be fine. And, and he's probably going to be a player that after the all-star break starts to put some things together and, and we're like, Whoa, okay. He's in for a big upcoming season. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I think a guy that, has probably adapted to the league a little bit better is someone that absolutely lit up summer league. And I I wonder if she he should already have a slightly bigger role than he does at present on his NBA team. I've been really impressed with how Keontae George has settled into NBA life. Um, 20 minutes per game at the moment, putting up nine points, fairly efficient, shooting 4.43s, 31%, but we know that he can light it up. Just he's he's settled into that Utah system really well in terms of being able to go at his own man in isolation, in pick and roll possessions, but also being able to move the ball on really quickly, be an off ball player, be an on ball player. I think for a guy that's in his early 20s, it's been a really impressive balance to strike. What have you thought of Keontae so far from the tape that you've seen? This this one might take a while. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got the scout... Keontae in person last year yeah and uh immediately I just all right I, I'm in I'm all in I I just wow. loved him um and it was 
it was a, a bit of a battle with me when it comes to an evaluator because there's a lot of guys like this that won't put up the production efficiency that you're hoping. And you have to get to a point where you're like, is the eye, are you trusting your eye? Are you trusting the eye test when it comes to a player or are you going to get too caught up on like, hey, he should have been better. And I just got to the point with Keontae where I watched him enough and I was like, the eye test is telling me this kid can play. And then um, I had him 11th on my board. Um, it was the one name I didn't sleep well at night because I was like, I should have him higher. I just loved him. And um, we had some people in no ceilings that felt the same way. Some others felt way lower on him. So it was a fun battle all year. But the pre-draft process when he was um, working out for teams, um, I saw a video of, of him and I was just jaw dropped because I was like, he looks in fantastic shape. Because when I saw him in person, he was bulky, bigger, a little muscular. And then the video, I was like, oh, he looked like he lost a bunch of weight. And then um, I got the chance to see him at Summer League in person. And I just like froze when I saw him because I was just like, he got so skinny. And why I think that's important is he was fantastic at Baylor with his playmaking. But just the rest of the stuff, he looked like he needed a little bit more burst to get away from people. And um, I think that weight loss and getting himself in shape, you're seeing that now. And it's the best of both worlds have started to collide for him. And it's happened very quick. He was awesome at Summer League. Um, I watched him in preseason. I thought he was fantastic. And I'm right there with you, Jack. I think it's, you know, I've talked to some Utah fans and I, I think it's only a matter of time before they have to find ways to get him on the court. I, I think he's yeah. just that impactful. Um really talented playmaker, great vision, and he can shoot the daylights out of the ball. So I, I think it's only a matter of time, but I think Utah is really smart. Um, Danny Ainge is very good at being patient with young players. Um, you know, Jalen Brown barely averaged like five points a game as a rookie and they just mm -hmm. kept letting him develop. And that's the, the luxury with a, a good GM and a good front office is, not needing to rush, not panicking of being like, let's trust this to, to work out and let these guys build some confidence. And I think Keontae looks like he's going to be a steal for the Jazz. Absolutely. And I remember on draft night, I was listening to uh, the San Vecini podcast, another sort of great source of draft content, if anyone's looking for it. And I know that Adam Spinella, uh, formerly the Boxham One, uh, now working for the Philadelphia 76ers in their draft scouting department, where we all hope to be one day. Um, I know that he had Keontae really high on his board as well. And there was rumours during draft night that Utah were considering taking Keontae all the way up at pick nine, where they eventually ended up taking Tyler Hendricks. So your opinions were definitely held at points in the community, right? I think they're lucky to have got him at 16. and it's that playing weight. I I think that's really been the main difference. Just that extra ounce of burst. It's it's been really kind of transformational for his game. And the really lazy comparison is, oh well, Utah's got their Donovan Mitchell again <laughs> because you know he's been great in summer league. I, I don't know if I quite see that. I um I don't know, Tyler. Are you a guy that indulges in player comparisons? I, I feel like sort of really committed draft coverers are not a fan of player comparisons but i quite like them they're quite fun 
they're fun to talk about for sure. Um, I always joke on, on the, our podcast with Tyler Metcalf. My, uh, we do the no ceiling show and I always joke that I'm terrible at them. And then this year I've been better. So he like is giving me some, some crap. He's like, you're actually good at this, but I think the Mitchell ones make sense. Um, I think Jamal Murray is a good one for him. Um, yeah. Just that type of good size guard that potentially can, can do both stuff, play both positions of point guard, run the show, or he can play off the ball and be a catch and shoot guy. I just, Keontae has a very high ceiling and that's something that I saw in person. And um, I think last year when he was at Baylor, he was trying to use his physicality and he still had the ability and the footwork to get away from people. But now it's just, he's got way more speed. He's got way more burst and um, it looks like things are coming easier now, which is funny when you're like, Oh, most of these guys get to the NBA level and things get really hard. Now it looks like Keontae's like, this is, much easier. Like I have a lot more speed and um, just a really good talent. And I think he's letting the game come to him. And that's a, a big deal for a rookie that's trying to earn his spot. And I just think it looks like Utah's got an absolute steal. And it, it was shocking on draft night when he was falling to where he was. I was like, Oof, someone's going to get a good pick. And um, when you tuck him on the board again, I was like, I don't think Danny Ainge has the, he could sleep good at night if he passes him up again. So, um, it, it's, he's turning to be a heck of a player. Yeah. I don't think he was going to get him at pick 28. So pulled the trigger at pick 16. Thankfully, one of the players he reminds me of is one of my favorite players in the league today. I think he's got a little bit of Malik Monk about him. We've spoken about sort of dropping that playing weight, uh, has that explosiveness off the bounce but really what I've been impressed with is that ability to toggle between on ball and off ball I think if Keontae hits his 100% ceiling you probably see him as a primary initiator but like Brandon Miller that we spoke about this is someone that can potentially toggle between the two I know that Utah loves to run handoff actions love to implement movement and cutting and screening He's a guy that fits right in. Even with that stocky frame as well, he could potentially develop into a screener on the perimeter as well. So just really excited to watch Keontae over the next few years. And he's had a really promising first week in his NBA career. I think most of the people we've spoken about so far have been in small markets. I mean, we've we've covered Charlotte, we've covered Detroit, Portland, Utah. I want to take us to a bigger market. I want to take us to a team that's playing, you know, higher stakes basketball at the moment and the team that actually has the best record in the league so far I want to take us all the way to Texas to the Dallas Mavericks and I really want to talk about Derek Lively because he may have had one of the most rapid progressions in terms of being ready to play over the last 12 months because I know at Duke he was not ready for college basketball in his first few months there and suddenly He's having really standout nights in the NBA against Yo, against Victor. And then last night as well, absolutely tore it up against the Bulls and a really experienced center, Nikola Vucevic. What were your thoughts on Derek? Because I, I picture him and I just think this must have been one of the more polarizing players in the pre-draft process. Oh, yeah. He, 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 uh, he gave a lot of us headaches. He was an absolute nightmare to evaluate last year because... Um, he was a number one recruit coming out of high school. And whenever you are that you have a target on your back and it's just players want to go up against the number one guy. Scouts 
have expectations of the number one guy. And when he went to Duke, obviously everyone that goes to Duke is going to have a target. Cause it's like, Oh, you're going to Duke. But you know, just it, it's a, one of my favorite lessons in scouting that I've learned over my time of watching basketball and, and picking the minds of scouts is you always have to have check-ins on prospects. And, and what I mean by that is if you watch Derek lively in the beginning of the year at Duke and you watched him at the end, it was completely different players. And some yeah. of these guys don't really figure things out until the second half of the season. And um, Usman Zhang was another guy like that playing overseas in the NBL. Like his first half of the year um, with the breakers, I was like, I don't think this guy is draftable. And then I, and I, it wasn't, I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Like I was talking to people around the NBA and I was like, what do you think of him? And they were like, he looks like he's in lost. He's just in a different world. And then all of a sudden the confidence heard and he looked unbelievable. I, I wasn't shocked that he was a pick where he got selected by the thunder. And that's the same way. A lot of us felt about lively is he quickly became the, you know, we had to have like draft therapy for no ceilings. We had to talk like, what, <laughs> are you buying lively? Is this, is this really happening? And you just saw the confidence start to finally rise when he was a prospect and he was such a good rim protector. He was a good rebounder. He was playing tough. He was showing the upside where I think people thought there was going to be this franchise altering big man because he's the number one recruit. And you quickly realized it might not be that, but he might be a really good defender a really good rebounder and he's right. huge and those check a lot of boxes to get a lot of money in the NBA and play a long time. And I, I thought it was so fascinating on draft night. I said, I, I want him to go somewhere. That's just a perfect fit for him. And there was some teams around the range where he got selected, you know, OKC was a team that it probably could have worked with him and Chet Holmgren it would have been nice together, but Dallas was the one that if he ended up there, I thought a lot of us were like, that's a great fit for both parties. Um, I'm not shocked he's played early and played good because they right. need him more than anything. <laughs> they they need him to do what he does best, which is just protect the rim, rebound, and, and be a lob threat. And I think that's the the special stuff with some of these young teams is when they can bring in a talent and say, let's make life easy for you. Let's not throw yeah. too much at you. Let's not have demand too much of you offensively. And, and let's just make it easy early on. And then we'll develop your game over the first couple of years. And I think Lively's looked awesome for, for what Dallas needs. I think he's doing a great job. And um, I think he's going to, like every one of these rookies, have growing pains because there's going to be nights where he's going up against Nikola Jokic and everyone looks bad against Nikola Jokic and, and, you know, but Joel Embiid and, and he's just going to have to figure it out. But I think he's battling, he's playing tough. And I know the first game I watched against the Spurs, he looked awesome. He was just yeah. making plays all over the place. And I think he was a big reason why they won that game. Absolutely. Do you know what he's shooting from the field this year? Do you want to hazard um, a guess? I'm going to guess he's mid 75% or, or around 70. there. 79% okay. from the field. Uh, do you want to guess his plus minus through four games? Oh, no. You got to tell me that. I'm going to be excited to hear this. 
He's plus 34 through yeah. four games for the Dallas Mavericks. That is quite frankly insane. I believe he's 19 years old. And when we speak about just the sheer development that he's shown from that first stretch at Duke to really looking like the Mavericks' best centre already. I know that it's not necessarily stiff competition down there in Dallas, but I was one of these people that was looking at the Mavericks preseason and thinking, wow, they've done a really, really good job turning around their roster. Just time to trade for Clint Capella now. Simple as that. Get a guy in that you can trust. And I really think that he's... um, Derek Lively is almost playing to save his starting spot already. And I think that if you're in, if you're Nico Harrison in the Mavs front office, you're looking and going, well, I'm not going to waste pick capital on a center when my guy that I've just drafted and I have under four years of rookie control on that cheap contract, uh, on that cheap contract is doing this. Um, just being absolutely stunning in terms of knowing where to be on the court gathering rebounds like an absolute monster. Uh, the motor has really jumped out. I think he's probably jumped into the stands more than any other player so far this year, which is always good. You love a hustle player. But the last thing I wanted to talk about, because I didn't watch a lot of Duke last year, it's hard enough to watch the NBA in the UK as it is. Finding college ball is, quite frankly, impossible. So were there signs of this passing that you're starting to show last year at Duke? little bit um it's tough because it was a really weird uh duke team last year um it was john shire who's the head coach it was his first year and they had a lot of talent but the talent was never really like coming together and playing and getting Tariq whitehead was on that team and he was hurt banged up all year and then lively kind of got a slow start and it was just a strange team and um it, it was just remarkable of the complete different sides of the fence that Derek Lively was in the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. End of the year, you were like, "This he might be one of the best big men in this class. And um, it was like defensively, you thought he was one of the best for sure. Um, yeah. and, and that's why I wanted him to go to Dallas because it was a perfect fit. And, and I think they're doing such a good job. Like, it's awesome when teams can just say, let's, Let's make it really simple. Let's almost give you training wheels for your rookie season. Like, you know, rebound, finish, be a lob threat for dunks, which, you know, Kyrie and Luca are going to love throwing him the ball up in the air and um, hustle and and make plays and and block shots. That's it. And, And I think that's, it's so important for Dallas to have hit on that pick because they've been a team over the years that have struggled when it comes to their draft history, they traded a lot of their picks over the years. And I think it was so important. Like you said, Jack, like everyone would thought, Oh, this could be a Capella team. This could be a team yeah. to go trade for Capella. But now you almost got a version of that on a rookie contract, which yeah. is humongous for roster construction. So it, it is a huge luxury for Nico Harrison. And I think, you know, lively has the tools to really be a, a really good franchise center um for years to come and i'm excited to watch him develop it's just remarkable the the last year of change we've had when it comes to him as a player yeah uh, i shouldn't be doing this but i'm going to mention the walker kessler name in terms of players that come out of college and can provide that immediate defensive impact on such a cheap contract uh don't know if he's going to be at that level this year you're probably in a much better place to talk to me about uh to talk about that than me tyler but 
what jumped out, uh, particularly from that Chicago game last night, he played 33 minutes, but he registered six assists and Derek Lively was making plays on the short roll. I think if you look at the roster construction for this Dallas team, a lot of the lineups that he was playing in was Luca at the point, Tim Hardaway Jr., Grant Williams, Maxi Kleber. What jumps out to me about that group is you've got as much spacing as you will ever need. And Derek Lively suddenly playing when two players are instantly going to the ball to play against Luca, when players are glued to Grant Williams, who has been an absolute flamethrower to start the year. Tim Hardaway loves to put him up, famously had that battle with Dion Waiters in their summer league game, one of the best you know, basketball events for absolute hoop heads out there. What's really jumped out to me is perhaps now he can see the court a little bit clearer. I know the spacing wasn't ideal in that Duke setting last year. He's been able to make reads. He's been able to, particularly when he's collecting an offensive rebound, be patient under the rim and kick out to the right guy. He definitely found Tim Hardaway Jr. for a couple of sort of trailer threes or second chance threes. And he definitely kicked out to Grant Williams a couple of times in the corner as well. So if he can just be adding just those little flare touches, because I think I'd heard from enough people, Derek Lively is just going to catch lobs this year. If in his fourth game in the NBA season, He's showing the ability to play make just a little bit on the short roll. That's massive progression. So really, really excited to watch Derek Lively over the course of this season. Hopefully he can keep that level to the point where Dallas don't have to throw in a pick and bring in a guy like Clint Capella. No shade on Capella. We love him. Just let Derek develop in peace. Um, Tyler, I'm going to throw it back to you, man. I, I feel like I could talk about every player in this draft class, but who else has jumped out to you as really just taken to the NBA like ducks of water. Oh man. Um trying to figure out. It's tough because a lot of these guys I think early on in the year haven't really got the playing time. Like yeah. A, a, a lot really impressed with the preseason and I think it's only a matter of time before they're going to start playing good and getting good minutes. Um I thought Colby Jones looked great for the Kings in, in preseason. I think they're starting to almost give him a little bit more trust. And I think he's going to be a player that earns a spot in that rotation. I think Jaime Hawkes for the Heat um, hasn't statistically got off to a good start, but I think he's a guy that post all-star break probably is going to start being like, Oh gosh, okay. This is, this is why they drafted him where he is. I think he's just going to be a really good basketball player in the NBA for a long time, but another guy where I think they're just going to be patient and keep giving him chances to get some confidence going. Um, there's a lot of guys like that. It, it's Bilal Kulabale is just so raw and he looked great in preseason, but he's got to earn minutes. A lot of these guys have to start earning minutes. And I think it's frustrating for a fan base when you have a new rookie that was a first round pick or, a second round pick that you're like, they look great in summer league. Why aren't we playing them? And it's like, because these teams are trying to win games the first month of the year. And um, it's a, it's a fun class. And I think there's a lot of talent that, you know, G league is starting in almost a week. I think a lot of the guys are going to go down there and get some valuable reps and then they might come back up and, and get some playing time. So case and Wallace, I guess is probably the name I've been most excited about with the Thunder with what he's done in limited playing time. And um, I know, I think they're going to start giving him more minutes and giving him some trust. I, I've just loved what I've seen. I think 
OKC's look great. I think they're going to be a team that's that's on the rise. You know, they've had a couple tough losses, but learning pains. Tough losses to really good teams. Like, And I yeah. think that's valuable for a, a young team to be like, you need to learn early on that everyone's talking about you, but now you have to deliver. Now you have to, to learn how to become a, a really good team. I think they'll deliver if Case and Wallace keep shooting 80% from three. That's been really positive, and I'm sure that that's going to keep up. I think I'm going to make that joke on every podcast because we had that with Jaden Springer last week uh, in the preseason. Absolutely lit it up on about 112% true shooting. Just these young guards, man, they can sustain efficiency like no one else. Um, Jaime Hawkes in his second game in the NBA had to guard Jason Tatum for the minutes that he was on the floor. I think that shows that... While we didn't lock down Jason Tatum, if you can go into that Miami Heat system and be trusted on one of the top five, six, seven players in the league, yeah, there's definitely, it's just professionalism there. There's The podcast is called No Ceilings, but Jaime Hawkes is a high floor player, right? Yes, yes, um, absolutely. I think there's one other guy that I want to talk about before we get out of here. And this is a guy, again, who hasn't necessarily delivered statistically, but he's played a lot of minutes so far because uh, the New Orleans Pelicans have had some injury issues. But Jordan Hawkins is the guy that's probably defied my expectations the most. Um, came out of UConn last year, pick 14 in the draft, has played in all four of New Orleans' games to this point. And while the shot hasn't necessarily been there, um, the, the classic point that people make about rookies is there's never a scout and report on them for the first few months of the season. There's a scouting report on Jordan Hawkins because players are staying stuck to him on the perimeter. So while that three-point shot isn't going down, he is functioning as a proper spacer out there. And when that shot starts going down, I think he's going to look really impressive. What were your thoughts on Jordan through pre-draft? Did you think he was going to translate to the NBA or did you think he was going to just go down as sort of a college great? I, uh, I loved him. And as a prospect, um, he was a guy that I was really, really high on. Um, I had him in my lottery. So right. I uh, I think this is a guy that he's going to make an impact, but the shot has gotten off to a slow start. I think he, he, with those guys that like to run around and get open and those shooters that could really, everyone knows the reputation he has. So they're, they're already on high alert when, when he's in the game. And I think, he's just got to figure out the playing time and like how to the veteran tricks of like how to get open and use guys off the ball and stuff like that. And I think it's one of those, just a matter of time before all of a sudden he has a big game and the shots really fallen. And then he might just feel like the weight of the world came off his shoulder. And then he's like, okay, here we go. But those shooters that that's the funny part is like, they could have a tough couple games and then it takes one game and all of a sudden the, the hoop looks a lot bigger for a couple of games in a row. And I think Jordan's going to be a fun addition to that team. Um, I like that they're giving him consistent minutes and still yeah. trusting him. And um, shooters like him, it, they'll figure it out. And and when that shot starts falling, he's going to start turning some heads because it's going to be a dangerous weapon. And I think as a prospect, um, one of the things he needed to add was – the in-between game when it came to, okay, don't have to take a three all the time, like get, yeah. get in between, take some elbow jumpers and stuff. And I think he showed flashes, but now it's, he's going to have to get to a point where it's like, start that off, get that sh 
elbow jumper going to create the three point shot. And um, it's just one of those young guys that, you know, Oh, I can run around and just shoot threes. But I think when he figures out the, the little details at the NBA level, then he's going to be a great addition. Yeah. I think when you see a player like Steph Curry warm up or Steve Kerr used to do this as well, they always start their warm up shooting from the free throw line and they work their way back. I think maybe if Jordan could just get a shot or two early on in the game from mid range, see the ball go in the bucket, it's all going to go from there basically. But he's been plus 18 through four games uh, to start his NBA career. I think that's really impressive considering the injury struggles that the Pelicans have had. He shot 13 threes yesterday against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is just fantastic. He shot two for 13, but the mere fact that this is a rookie playing heavy minutes in you know a competitive game He's not seeing the ball go in the basket and there's just no hesitation. He's still putting them up. I think that's really promising. I've been impressed at how he's got out in transition. Really good at sort of sprinting to the corners already. Sprinting to sort of like above the break or I suppose the wing. Just ready to catch and fire. Still got that lightning quick release. And um, I think it's going to be really fun to watch him in a sort of James Borrego, Willie Green inspired offense this year. Zion creating all that downhill gravity and then you're just going to have marksmen stationed around the perimeter because CJ McCollum has looked a lot better this year as well. So there could be lineups where you see, I suppose, CJ, Jordan Hawkins, Trey Murphy, Zion and, you know, Jonas or Larry. And that is just going to be an absolute nightmare for NBA teams. I, I didn't necessarily think that he'd translate physically straight away. I, I think that I'd seen some of the tape before and thought, yeah, this guy looks great in college. He sort of had the system built around him a little bit. But if he's not being asked to sort of do the Reggie Miller run laps around the court until you're open, sprint around until you can shoot, is he going to be able to create separation? Is he going to be able to hold up on the defensive end? Uh did you have any concerns about his athleticism pre-draft or have I just not watched enough, basically? No, I, I think there was some stuff where people were concerned about it, but um, he would also have instances where he'd, you know, drive to the basket and throw down a huge poster. And you're like, where did that come from? So <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, the the concerns were warranted, but I think you bring up a good point. Like that was one of the questions I had with Jordan was like, okay, who's going to, whoever drafts him, I want them to let him be himself, which is pulling like the Reggie Miller running around and, and tiring guys out. And it's going to be fascinating to watch early on in his career. If, if he can prove the ability to develop his game without doing that, does the team start to almost try to build around that ability he has? Because I think that makes him a nightmare to deal with. Like if you had to get a, a 35 year old veteran that all of a sudden is like, I have to deal with this kid all night. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that. So I just think it's a really fun wrinkle. And um, he's just one guy I'm excited, get a couple months into the season and then kind of go back and watch everything because I, I like to see the progressions of those guys of like, how did you start out the year? And have you added anything? Have you figured anything out? And I think Jordan's going to be one of those, like just got to wait and see, just got to be patient yeah. because there's a lot of these guys too. You can already tell like, Oh, with the full off season, they're going to be very fun um, as sophomores. And I think we're already seeing that with some of the previous classes of like, just how much better guys can get in one year. 
so I, I'm excited for Jordan. I think he's going to be a good talent. Definitely. Can I just ask, who did you have higher on your board? Did Was it Grady or was it Jordan? Um, I had uh, Jordan. I had Jordan right. at 15 and I had Grady at 18. Nice. I think it's just interesting, two of the best sort of three-point shooters in the class and the different ways that they create space for themselves. I've been really impressed. Obviously, one of the best sort of content creators in the basketball scene at the moment is Raptors Republic. Some of the breakdowns of the way that Grady is finding space for three uh, just really interpret space in a very beautiful way. And I think it's really interesting to see that comparison. They're going to be two very fun players to watch through the next few years in the NBA. Just before we get out of here, uh, really impressed by the one game that Brandon Pajemski played. Uh, played really well against the Pelicans in a win for the Warriors. Seems to be integrating into that system. And as we know from the frustrations that we've had with Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, if you don't understand that system, you're not going to play for Steve Kerr. Trace Jackson Davis uh, had a really positive showing in that Pelicans game as well. So they've seemingly picked up some decent talent. Uh, I think just through the first week of the season, Yes, everyone's eyes have been on Wemby. Yes, Alsar has stood out. But it's just been really fun to dig into some of the guys that we didn't necessarily expect to light it up straight away. That being said, Tyler has seemingly been kind of clairvoyant. Every player I've asked him about, he's been like, do you know what? I had this feeling, man. And it's on tape. Go to no ceilings. It's there. I'm, I'm going to get him on the podcast again and I'm going to ask him about someone and he's going to go, no, I absolutely didn't think they had a prayer in the NBA and now they're it, lighting it up. Anytime you uh, need me to come back, I'll gladly talk hoops with you. So no, it, I, this is, I, my, I've done... this is my challenge through the year, Tyler. I'm going to okay. find a player. I'm going to ask you what you thought pre-draft. and I want you to go, I was wrong. I was so wrong. So we'll see because so far, man, you've shown that you are brilliant at what you do, but there's got to be one. There's got to be one dirty little secret waiting to come out. There always is one. I promise you there's always one, but I feel pretty good. You know, I feel good about my, uh, my shooting percentage when it comes to evaluating, but there's always one guy that either clicks a little earlier than I'm expecting, or maybe he's going to take a little longer um, to find their groove because, you know, we're all trying to do it the best possible we can, but it's impossible. We don't have a crystal ball to predict their future, but um, we try to get as close as possible to having that. So, um, no, it's a fun class. And I, I feel like a lot of fans, like there's a lot of talent that hasn't really gotten playing time yet. And it doesn't mean anything negative. It's just, there's some guys that landed with some talented teams and they've got to, they got to earn their role. You got to prove that you're worthy of, of getting into the starting lineup or getting into the rotation. So, going to be fun to track this class throughout the whole year absolutely yes yeah. so tyler is not like jordan hawkins against the okc thunder he does not go two for 13 but keep putting up his predictions this is a man that carefully considers his coverage before he puts it down on his big board and that is one of the reasons why you should be following the guys at no ceilings because he and his compadres over there do fantastic work and i'm going to be looking forward to when that 2024 draft coverage is draft coverage really steps up they're going to be great for content so make sure you give them a follow after this podcast i've thoroughly enjoyed having him on and hopefully through the season we can talk again and we can find tyler's mystery player that he's missed on that's that's my task through the year tyler have you enjoyed coming on today man absolutely thank you so much for having me and anytime you need me to come on and talk hoops i'll, I'll be running to, to jump on the mic so um thank you so much jack this was a blast i appreciate it
Nice. I'll give you a call tomorrow. Same thing. Same time tomorrow. Uh, that is it. That is it for the rookie roundup. We're going to try and do this a fair few times this season, just because I think it's fun to keep a track of how these guys are doing. Sometimes draft coverage is uh, really thorough. And then you just see coverage at the top of the league. What are the Warriors doing? What are the Nuggets doing? What are the Celtics doing? It's important that we don't forget about these guys once they get in the league. Give Jordan Hawkins the love. Give Trace Jackson Davis the shine. Check in on Jaime Hawkes. That's what we're going to be doing over on the Drop Step uh, podcast. And I'm sure that I'm going to have Tyler back a couple more times throughout the year. And I'll really enjoy that. And you guys will too. So tune back into the Drop Step for another episode next week. Thanks for listening.